Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 595. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. And thank you to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at longfield-gardens.com. Here we are at the beginning of 2023. We already have wrapped up the first month of the year, and it's time to present the ninth annual Slow Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast. Like you, when we turn a page to a new calendar year, the Slow Flowers community embraces the inevitable progress of change with a dose of optimism as we forecast the future. I'm so excited to be joined today by Robin Avni, my partner in Bloom Imprint, and an experienced consumer trend analyst and ethnographer for lifestyle brands. We will share eight key insights for 2023 and elaborate both on how the larger culture reflects these themes and how our members are leading the shifts we discuss. We originally recorded this episode for the Slow Flowers Show, which streamed to YouTube and Facebook Live on Monday, January 30th. You can find the replay video in our show notes for episode 595 at slowflowerspodcast.com, and I'll include a PDF of our slide deck for you to download. Let's jump right in and get started. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Show with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so excited to welcome you to episode 595. Here we are at the beginning of 2023, actually wrapping up the first month already, and it's time to present the annual Slow Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast. I'm so pleased today to be joined by my collaborator, Robin Avni. Hi, Robin. Good morning, everybody. Robin is the creative director of Bloom Imprint, our publishing project, and we've been personal and professional friends for 15 years or more. So I'm delighted that you're joining, you're joining me today, Robin. And let's get started. <laughs> uh, just by way of background, since 2015, Slow Flowers has uh, published an annual forecast with insights and predictions 
of emerging themes and topics and categories relating to the floral marketplace, especially to our Slow Flowers community. Slow Flowers and Bloom Imprint began collaborating in earnest last year uh, as Robin and I teamed up to produce our 2022 forecast. Although to be honest, Robin, you helped me with 2021 as well. Uh, <laughs> so you, inf- you helped shape that. And that partnership continues with our current report. Thanks so much, Robin, for joining me. Oh, of course. And I'm so happy to join you. And as we present these key themes and, you know, notable topics for 2023, I think these reports have become an important gauge for our members, as well as just the greater uh, floral marketplace and business media. And we look to evaluate these cultural trends, these notable changes, breakout ideas that influence flower farming, floral design, and consumer attitudes about flowers. You know, our insights here reflect a full year of intelligence gathering. We don't just sit down in December and decide these. We're we're sending each other notes. We're putting things in a folder all year long. Deborah does a member survey. She's done hundreds of interviews for articles and the Slope Flowers podcast. So she draws from her wide-ranging conversations with all of you, florists, growers, experts, influencers, makers, and educators. I contribute my point of view and expertise in just the cultural and consumer trend-watching area, applying timely insights uh, to share with you. Um, I've been doing this for a number of years, and I've been uh, um, cultural, what they call ethnographer for a number of years. So that's where my expertise comes in. So for this forecast this year, we want to share eight key insights that we've identified for you to explore, evaluate, and consider for your floral enterprise. Um, You'll see that we break it down that each insight, we have the larger cultural influence, our Slow Flowers community members who uh, represent some of what's going on, and then we talk about what it means specifically for your business. Okay, great. So we're calling the theme of the year Botany Lessons. And for a little background and context, in thinking about the floral profession and and those who embrace the floral lifestyle, Robin and I sense that many of us, we've just been holding our collective breaths. We have talked to so many people who are so happy to put 2022 in the rearview mirror. Um, And so as we seek to sort of shed that and turn a page to sort of a new mindset, um, we're noticing people rebranding, reimagining, and renewing um, how they want to work and how their lives will, how they'll live their lives uh, with values and intentionality. So, what does that really look like? We've decided to use this theme of being rooted, the imagery of being rooted, of sinking our roots deeper into nature and the plant kingdom and the healing qualities of both. And the embrace of small and slow provides one solution. A one course of action, and whether that means rebranding your business, reviving your mission, or refocusing your purpose. So the overall narrative botany lessons sends us back to plants, back to the earth and nature, and what lessons we can draw from the environment. So I'm going to jump to insight number one, and Robin will start. Great. So we call insight number one, uh, the rise of the non-floral florals. And this original idea for this insight began when Deborah and I noticed mushrooms everywhere. And we spent a lot of the last half of 2022 texting each other images of mushrooms, stories about um, mushrooms, mushroom-themed products, everything from home interiors, tabletop paper goods, gifting categories, Christmas ornaments. Um, But it all came together with this insight, which we began to see it being broader than just mushrooms. So... 
for us, seeing this image that we see here from Sue McCleary's new book, um, Flowers for All, really brought it home. Um, Sue's selection of unconventional, what we say non-floral florals, loofah tendrils, immature current tomatoes, uh, white mushrooms from the local grocer, in this beautiful green and white tabletop composition. And throughout the book, she draws from vegetables, herb, plants, and yes, mushrooms, to compose her designs. And we love it. Thank you, Sue, for, and photographer E.E. Berger for allowing us to include this image in our forecast. So the idea of non-floral florals means we all have a broader palette of botanicals available for growing and design projects. The proliferation of plants into hospitality, fashion, consumer marketing, environmental design and architecture is helping change us from people who are, have plant blindness to people who have plant literacy. We're relying more on plant-based solutions rather than chemical or synthetic uh, applications. Uh, and we're seeing demand for biodegradable accessories such as containers, packaging, and mechanics across all consumer categories, but especially in the floral industry. We're also seeing floral designers and flower farmers um, expanding their botanical palette, as we've mentioned with the image you see here. And we're really inspired by a Slow Flowers member, uh, Alex Cacciari of Sealy Farm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who's introduced her floral customers to native plants as sustainable cut flowers. Alex will join me um, in the future, in the spring, as a return guest on the Slow Flowers podcast uh, to share more about her native flower initiative. But I'm excited to continue that conversation and think about new ways of using botanicals. So while working on the forecast, we also spotted these magical mushrooms that Seattle-based floral designer Carolyn Kolb of Bloom Poet used in a recent wedding. And we're like, we have to have those. We're grateful to her and photographer Mary Calhor for sharing the beautiful collection of images. Um, Carolyn showcased these shapes in all sorts of ways and the bouquet, the boutonnieres, the centerpieces, the floral arrangements around the guest book. And it turns out her clients, they're avid mushroom hunters, and they wanted their spring wedding florals to be forest-inspired, mushroom and colorful. So this opportunity to use non-floral elements in full-service wedding design is really exciting, and we can't to see, wait to see what else the Slow Flowers community creates. The takeaway here is for you to broaden your palette and use unique material in your designs to differentiate and distinguish your aesthetic and your brand. Great. Love it. I'm all about the mushrooms now. <laughs> okay. Insight number two, we love this insight. It's called creative waste. And uh, we believe a number of influences are behind today's even greater emphasis on recycling, upcycling, repurposing, and reusing what we have in our studios, our shops, and our potting sheds. Robin and I were impressed by findings from a, a Deloitte uh, sustainability survey in which the consulting firm found with fewer choices and opportunities due to the impact of inflation and supply chain disruptions, consumers are seeking more innovative ways to spend less and, for example, adopting a more sustainable lifestyle by choosing goods that are more durable or that can be reused or repaired easily. Uh, to us, this image from Slow Flowers member Jill Redman of Forage Florals in Santa Ynez, California, it really captures how creative waste doesn't have to be ugly or dreary. 
At her shop, Jill and her team keep a jar to quote unquote brew silk ribbon from discarded flower petals. She says every day, no matter what botanical material we bring in, we put some of it in a pot and see what happens with our ribbons. Nothing ever comes out the same, but it's pretty magical. We tie all the bouquets going out the door with our custom plant dyed silks. So whether people are getting creative because they're still dealing with supply chain issues or rejecting throwaway culture or want to get rid of too much packaging or single-use plastics or create art, our members are getting really resourceful. And, and indeed they are. And in our report, you'll find in the winter issue of Slow Flowers Journal, you'll read more about how many Slow Flowers members are creatively composting, recycling, repurposing in their everyday practices. And one of our favorite stories comes from Tammy Myers um, in Seattle, again, a first in bloom, who understood the glass vase shortage many florists face and who found a solution. She spearheaded this glass vase recycling program through collaboration with the local private recycling service. And then Tammy partnered with Ridwell in a pilot collection across four Seattle neighborhoods. And she got 117 boxes of unwanted glass vases. I mean, how many of us have these under our sinks? She created vase collections by size and type, and she resold them to florists throughout the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market. And as Sammy said, not only does this help, you know, reuse household products and prevent them from getting thrown in a landfill, but she spends less and it means more profit in her pocket. I love that. That's so great. And I, 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 did love the the statement that she gave us or she posted, which said, sustainability is so much more than just showing and posting. It's about doing and taking action. So yep. congratulations, Tammy. Yeah, we love it. I have a few vases I can give her, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we call our third insight the naturals. And like many of our 2023 uh, three themes. We're witnessing plant-based solutions and alternatives, and this time in the health and beauty category. So according to Grandview Research, the global natural skincare products market size is valued in the U.S. at $6.7 billion in 2021. That's a lot of natural beauty products. And they expect it to compound it with an annual growth rate of 6.6% over the next several years. So one of the primary factors that's driving the market is a growing awareness about the adverse effects of chemicals on the skin and the increasing awareness about the benefits of organic ingredients. Uh, Slow Flowers members surveyed indicated that some flower farmers and florists are stepping into this natural and health and wellness category. And there is an upside to putting your botanical byproducts in the jar or at the bar. In a recent survey, we learned that 24.5% grow plants for aromatherapy and wellness products, which is, that's a large number. And 11.5% offer health and wellness activities for their customers. 7.5% utilize plants for soap and candle products. And why it's important to cite uh, Slow Flowers members is that you're always a bit ahead of the curve. And we see that you're looking at these different types of things that are eventually and continually growing in the broader marketplace. Mm. Uh, I want to just mention also this photo is from Kate Waters uh, from Wild Heart Farm in Rimrock, Arizona. So thank you, Kate. And it's a little calendula uh, 
I guess, elixir that she has created for skincare. And in in discussing what it means for business, this is another photo from Kate. Um, she talks about plant-based products and programs at her farm as flower healing. And this is an image from an event that she had, um, basically a, a wellness day, a mental wellness day for uh, her staff and her customers. This, was ide- this idea was germinated as a way to celebrate the sanctity of what they make, grow, and offer to the world. And, you know, they're in a stressful industry, especially doing full-service weddings. It's like an in- endless hustle. And um, Kate wanted to bring everyone together to have this celebration and just, just kind of take a pause. Um, she said, the experience helped us build on the strength that exists in our community for nourishment, healing, and relishing the green earth power of this farm and the flower world that we sometimes forget. It was so rejuvenating. We're hoping to do it again in 2023. Uh, we want to offer other simple radical rest retreat days for others who need radical rest. Uh, mothers, teachers, women who work in nursing and hospitality, and Yes, flower farmers. So as we wrap up this insight, I'll just mention that in our uh, report, we include a bonus essay written by Janice Cox, a Slow Flowers member and author of Natural Beauty at Home. She discusses the many ways people can turn away from synthetic formulations and excessive packaging and embrace organic self-care and plant-based solutions. So you'll find that in our report. Insight number four. And, you know, we can't write an annual floral forecast and skip a discussion on color. Um, it's It's so important to everything we do um, from our interiors to our florals. Um, And you'll see that in our published report that I myself am drawn to a numerous kitchen home design and paint companies forecasts for the year's color shifts, which we'll talk about in a second. But what we see is a general infusion of warm and saturated colors are finding favor. And then you added a little bit of a patina because there's this European influence at work with dramatic, deep, saturated colors that are beginning to show up in interiors on walls and cabinets and molding. And the This is all influenced heavily by Duval Kitchens and their palette that has influenced all the major paint companies. So one of the things that's important to remember is that these things catch on with the influential bloggers and and media, and pretty soon you see them everywhere, and then they're very much into the mainstream. So what's not so in this saturated pattern is the Viva Magenta, which is the Pantone color of the year. It's a bit of an outlier given its very intense magenta hue. And that color was generated using artificial intelligence or AI, as we say. And so it brings a bit of a techie glow to the mix. And I invite you to go to um, the link in our report that takes you to Doll E2, and that will allow you to create some of your own your own photo portraits with your own set of colors. Um, it's great news that you know nature conveniently provides us spectacular options in that Viva Magenta range. Um, who those who want a vitality, and um, we see this this uh, in this beautiful image by T.J. McGrath of T.J. McGrath Designs, and we thank him for short, sharing this image that he designed and photographed. Um, remember, what you're seeing here is individuality, but that's skewing a little more to um, saturated colors. 
And these individuals, everybody wants to be the creative director of their own special story. And they're going to continue to look at those online influencers that I mentioned for inspiration to find these looks they love. So growers, designers, florists, think about, um, you know, local for your clients and fill this ever-expanding visual palette that's becoming more and more prevalent. Thanks, Robin. And as we we, uh, alluded to, it's, you know, we're not just going to call it good with Viva Magenta, we're seeing a much broader spectrum that's moving to these deeper saturated colors. And so um, I was delighted that I could, uh, you know, gather floral uh, and foliage palettes from uh, some of our members to share here to actually kind of touch on the colors that Robin has identified on the right. And so I just, from top left, uh, uh, clockwise, I'll just thank... um, Melissa Mercado Dinky of Campanula Design Studio. That's that top left image. Um, we're calling that amping up neutrals with shots of color. Uh, the top right, we're calling mixing warm and cool tones for a, an eye pleasing balance. And that's a centerpiece designed by Kelsey Ruland of Foxbound Flowers. Um, the lower uh, left image, um, going deep with red and fuchsia. Again, a kind of a nod to that spectrum that um, Viva Magenta is identifying. Um, it's a lush and seductive, hot-hued dahlias in that kind of red and dark orange palette. And then bottom right, tan and brown are beautiful, a composition that expresses sort of the wild nature of Montana, uh, designed by uh, Remy Bro of Labellum. I just wanted to comment that in 2015... When I started the Slow Flowers Forecast, we had an insight called Beyond Blush. And um, it was kind of a, a play on the, the color fatigue of Café Olé Dahlias. So that is proving to have been prescient, even though it's taken years to get more cl- color in our floral world. Well, what I wanted to add, Deborah, was um, also just briefly is the palettes you see on the right-hand side, they're all the colors of the year from each paint company major paint companies and designers. And you see none of them really overlap. They all pick a different color of the year. Um, But you'll see it runs the whole spectrum. And that's why we're saying from one end of the spectrum to the other, which you really can't go wrong in nature with that. Um, And you will notice behind our little windows there, there's also brown and black at the bottom. So you go all the way down the spectrum. But we did notice that in our Slow Flowers survey that we saw warm, Colors and saturation move up from last year. Um, I will also say that as you, I took those paint colors and I showed you their whole entire palette for 2023, and you'll see really how similar it is. And one of the interesting things is, you know, you might as well the new Pharaoh and Ball colors that got that got released this year, their new colors for the first time in four years, they look oddly similar to Duvall's color palette. (laughs) How similar all these palettes are here, but what that general infusion of color at the direction is going. Mm, Fun. It's fun to see those. Okay. Onward to, to our insight number five. I love this one. I, I, I can't decide if this one's my favorite or the color one, as always, <laughs> my favorite. But um, we call this one Incredible Edibles, and it's a reflection of the growing culinary and beverage market, organic edible blooms, and human consumption. You know, uh, as Deborah says, they say we eat with our eyes, and that's truer than ever. 
We know that these have been utilized as food garnishes and accents for quite some time, but there is great potential for anyone who grows to sell flowers to capture this market because demand is at an all-time high. Um, so evidenced by the French food blog Chef Club that declared actually last year the year of the edible flower. And we always see that things that happen in Europe come over here and that things that happen here go back over there. So there is this big swap and exchange, Chef Club said. They said with an average of 107,000 queries typed each month into Google worldwide with the term edible flowers. And that doubled in comparison to 2019. So that's a big deal. That's a big jump. So we really love this beautiful image of handmade pasta layered with edible flowers. Comes from a new book set for publication in March 2023 called The Edible Flower. And we thank authors Aaron Bunning and Joe Facer for permission to include this delectable delectable image in our forecast. I want to make floral pasta now. That's so pretty. I know. It's just gorgeous. Um, mm. uh, you know, it's too pretty to eat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, to continue um, with, in terms of what it means for business, which we're trying to add to all of these insights, uh, we just want to note that Edible Flowers open doors to new markets, and many Slow Flowers members are leveraging this opportunity already. Um Sustainable practices are already, in, if they're already in place at your farm, that means that the flowers you grow are safe and edible. And that appeals obviously to chefs and to mixologists and cake decorators. And I just want to give a shout out to our four members who shared images of what they're doing from left to right. Um, the flower bento box of edible flowers is created by Christian Ingalls of Daisy Duke's Flower Farm. She recently was on the Soul Flowers podcast talking about how she sells these clamshells, which are compost by, I guess they're 100% compostable packaging um, with a mix of edible varieties uh, to people on the big island in Hawaii. She kind of owns this market there. The cocktail is um, features marigolds from Caitlin Mathis of the Marigold Gardens in Ithaca. That's her primary crop is marigolds. And she's working with um, people who she calls food creatives and taste wizards in her community, um, just enhancing the food and beverage experience with the flavors and the colors of marigolds. Uh, the third image is from Salty Acres Farm, Tonnelly Gruder and her mother, Kim Gruder. Um, they do a lot of things with edible flowers, but they also make dried flower confetti, which restaurants are buying to use um, for celebrations because everything is compostable. And Sarah Wagstaff of Suat Farm and Flowers in Burlington, Washington, partners with a local chef who incorporates pressed violets and um, pansies from Suat Farm into flower lollipops, which then Sarah sells at her shop. So there's lots of ideas. These are just... For the cut our eye. Pops, yeah. I, I want to buy those for like party favors or like a dinner party and put it a, uh, you know, or, you, you know, put it a place setting. Um, well, she's selling them for two for $5. So it's in your budget. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we love edible flowers. We're psyched about that. Well, our sixth insight is community retail. And um, this recognizes that while the retail landscape is undergoing significant disruption, we know there's a lot going on, um, stores closing um, and, uh, you know, the market up and down, all of that. But there's a glimmer of positive 
and independent creative retail spaces that are deeply rooted in what we're calling this community. And we're seeing industry reports, you know, retail is theater, and that, that has been around for a while. But what we're really seeing is that people want to gather. People want to get together, and they want a reason to gather. And this community-based retail is so closely connected to the personality and style of the owner of the business. Members are opening shops that reflect their aesthetic, their mission, their values, their brands, and they've been at the forefront of this community retail. And we've documented this cultural shift for years um, where we talked about the return of brick and mortar in 2017. But really, we know now this time that we really see people wanting to come out of their homes and get together, whether it's even just around a flower bar or for a workshop or an event. Um, it's it's time to for people to feel comfortable and want to gather. And quite honestly, a lot of us have forgotten how to gather. <laughs> really helpful. <laughs> well, and this image is uh, the um, American Grown Flower Bar uh, at Belfiore Company, which is in Lee's Summit, Missouri, right outside of Kansas City. And um, we recently interviewed uh, Angela Turner uh, about this uh, feature at her retail shop. And um, it's something because she has sources a lot from uh, California growers, even in the middle, in the Midwest, she's able to have American grown uh, botanicals year round. And you, as you see, you just, um, she encourages her customers to come in, pick a stem and make a bouquet. Um, uh, kind of back to Robin's point about curating your individual style, this sort of plays into that as well. We couldn't uh, not use these adorable photos from uh, from Ellen Frost. Um, Ellen owns um, local color flowers in Baltimore, Maryland, and she has a really solid community of customers. Uh, the charming images you see on this slide um, show a project she did with Urban Row Photography to offer portrait sessions for cus for customers' pets. And the pets, of course, are wearing flower crowns, flower collars, and um, some are individual pet portraits, some are with the owners. Um, Ellen said, not only was this a money-making opportunity, we ended up with great studio photographs and even made a video for our blog. Um, this thing was so popular. It was, it sold out, uh, very quickly. And now she's offering another session. And she said, we have another 30 pets coming in two weeks and our event sold out in two hours. So this is a perfect illustration of what Robin was saying about giving people a reason to gather and also highly personalized to, you know, the, the notion in, in Ellen's mind that people who love flowers also love their pets. <laughs> I love, I love these pictures so much. There's so many more of them. We just didn't <laughs> use them all. Uh, so we wanted to talk about uh, how farewell flowers are going green. And this is just... Um, an area that is just beginning more to come to light in terms of all of the waste that happens around funeral flowers. And media coverage around the recent funeral of Queen Elizabeth certainly prompted consumers to question this floral industry waste because it got magnified by a story published by CBC News in Canada that critiqued the plastic wrapping accumulating for the mountains of floral bouquets left at Buckingham Palace and other places to commemorate Queen Elizabeth. Just 
tons and tons of plastic. And I think they were, you know, we know that they were good for flower retails that good sales, but the criticism generated by scenes of containers loaded of plastic trash was really disturbing. And especially since most of that cellophane is not recyclable. So um, we, we wanted to um, talk, thank Becky Feesby of Prairie Girl Flowers, who, uh, who is uh, the producer of Sustainability Sunday on Instagram. She was quoted in that CBC news story. And, you know, she questioned whether there's other ways that we can change packaging to reduce this plastic consumption. Um, however, there was one bright spot is that um, the flowers placed on Queen Elizabeth's coffin um, had a lot of coverage too. Number one, they came from the gardens that were important to both her and her son, King Charles III. But at His Majesty's request, King Charles III, this wreath was made in a totally sustainable way in a nest of English moss and oak branches and without the use of any floral foam. So, you know, the kings, the kings weighed in on this one, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this insight is closely tied to the growing concern about single-use single use plastics, microplastic pollution, which we're reading about. Uh, affecting marine life and oceans, and um, the widespread rejection of floral foam among the slow flowers community, which we documented last year. We've been tracking this insight actually since our very first forecast in 2015, um, and it's now finally catching up in um, this uh, long-ignored category of floral design, funeral and sympathy flowers. And I'll just mention a few things um, about our survey. We we asked members uh, to talk about foam-free methods for, for producing floral arrangements, casket sprays, and other tributes specifically for, for funerals. And their comments range from using natural jute or twine rather than zip ties, elastic, or tape, designing with compostable mechanics like moss, and compostable alternatives to floral foam and using compostable or reusable trays rather than plastic options. So there's a lot more in our report, and we, we are so grateful to Lori Poliski of Flory, a Slow Flowers member who's been researching this emerging sustainable farewell flowers category. She's written a report for us, and um, we just are seeing this as, you know, kind of a natural extension of people wanting sustainable flowers in their everyday lives, and now seeing that there's an opportunity to do better uh, at end of life. Okay, our next insight is insight number eight, and I'm going to turn it over to Robin. Well, you know, I'm a techie at heart, so um, I always like to look at how technology is influencing our lives. It's no surprise to any of you that uh, social media, we say, well, with social media, is taking a bit of a hit. As of late, um, you know, that uh, between, um, you know, the government cracking down on TikTok and schools not liking TikTok either, um, between ins your, your feeds just getting lost in ads, for you having to do reels on Instagram and <laughs> sort of visibility, um, Facebook is kind of faded these days, you know, it's kind of known as like boomerland. Um, for its general feeds. So, um, you know, it's kind of time to take a look, we think, at what social media, how you're spending your time around that, and what are the benefits and what are the detriments of it. Um, so social media, as we know, as you all know, it's a hungry piece that needs to be fed a constant 
diet of content, if there's any hope of achieving any visibility. But not only that, we find it consumes our headspace and it consumes our precious time. So we really ask you to take a moment and assess what platforms are worth your investment. Take stock of, you know, who you're trying to reach, who's your audience, and choose your platforms accordingly. And maybe you just need two at most three platforms to achieve your business goals. Perhaps it's time to create a Patreon space if uh, you do um, a lot of demos, training, and other advice and meetups, or a Facebook private Facebook community where you're actually um, working with people who have opted in and not trying to just grab people who you make that's as catch them. So... Um, if you also think about maybe doing a YouTube or a Substack audience for your time well spent, um, we're inspired by uh, Beth Cypher of Crowley House in uh, Rick Real, Oregon, who is building her YouTube audience and then putting her F effort into that, um, not as much into Instagram. She said, you can fake a lot on Instagram. And I wanted to show what actual flower farming looks like, our everyday farm life. So um, Crowley House Flower Farms audience is growing um, by 300 new YouTube followers per month. And those fans hop over to the Instagram as a result. So there is a relationship, but she's really made choices. So consider your social media tools, but also just consider the as a technology tool to run your business. It's just one of the many technology tools you need to run your business. Your retail, software, and most importantly, don't ignore those other types of technological advances that will help you grow your business and not control your business or your time. And we have a good example here of a Slow Flowers member who is getting grants and experimenting in a, in a, in new technology in a way that is not social media <laughs> but other, and very yeah. interesting and, and is a benefit to his business. So it's a benefit of his time. Deborah, you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, I just, I, there are so many inter interesting technological advances uh, to our members and I love it when members share what they're doing. Um, we want to thank Tom Precht of Grateful Gardeners. He's contributed a feature about, growing flowers in aquaponics, which is a natural symbiotic system between three ent entities, fish, plants, and bacteria. Tom and his wife and business partner, Sarah Dakin, rec recently talked about this new venture, um, Floraponics is what they're calling it, on an episode of the Slow Flowers podcast. And we'll share a link to that episode in our show notes as well. The fact that Slow Flowers members like Grateful Gardeners are on the forefront of a changing dynamic in agriculture, one that demonstrates new sustainable farming methods, it's inspiring and instructional. And it's showing how you, in, if, if you find the right, channel, you can leverage technology to achieve higher levels of productions. As we looked to the future and saw 2023 on the horizon, Robin and I couldn't help but compare our hopes and aspirations for those of the entire Slow Flowers community. Um, we feel like our member survey was a good indicator uh, of a desire among creatives for transformation and change. We asked, have you changed or plan to change your floral career or enterprise. And to reflect this trend line, one third of our members said that they're launching a new product or service that they've thought about for years in 2023. And a quarter of people said that uh, sort of on the flip side, they're choosing to phase out a product or service that they no longer enjoy. So 
we love you to, to share what you're doing and join the conversation. Do you see yourself in this discussion? Um, let us know. Uh, you can reach out to us at uh, Deborah at slowflowers.com or Robin at blueimprint.com. I think our websites are on the next slide. So I'll let Robin wrap it up. Okay. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining us. And, um, as we shared our insights and forecasts for this year. And Deborah, thank you so much for being a great partner in all of this. Um, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, but a lot of fun. Um, we're incredibly inspired by the passion and talents of the Slow Flowers community and, and the intentional choices that you bring to your floral enterprises and help shape the, the, you know, the future of the Slow Flowers movement. We're profoundly moved by the many ways you meld your values with a love of flowers. And as you bring your creativity into the floral marketplace, you're not losing sight of sustainability and community in all facets of your work. And Deborah and I love that. So we hope to have a beautiful, peaceful, and prosperous 2023. You can find us at slowflowersociety.com or bloomimprint.com. And throughout this year, Beginning with the release of our winter 2023 Slow Flowers Journal, you'll find a lot of content that informs you in the floral landscape. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thanks, Robin. And as we wrap up, I just want to extend my deepest gratitude to Robin for all that she's done to elevate and polish our forecast uh, process and what we are able to share with you. She's an invaluable partner, and I'm so glad she's part of this effort. Thank you, Robin. Uh, thank you. And as, and as we mentioned, um, the replay video of this presentation will be available at slowflowerspodcast.com on February 1st. Uh, look for episode 595. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so delighted that Robin joined me in the review. As we move into 2023, we will be expanding on many of these insights with new content, podcast interviews, articles, and meetup topics. Access to all of these resources is a definite benefit of being a member of the Slow Flower Society. And I encourage you to join us as a member. You can find all the details and benefits of membership at slowflowerssociety.com. Starting with the winter 2023 issue of Slow Flowers Journal, the digital magazine that we produce each quarter, the issue will be behind a paywall. Current members of Slow Flower Society will receive the quarterly magazine subscription as a free benefit. In this issue, you'll find a 20-page expanded version of the Slow Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast, the report, along with our regular features and departments. If you're not a member, check out details in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 595 about purchasing single issues or a full year subscription of Slow Flowers Journal. Okay, thank you to our next sponsor, Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. One more piece of news to share with you this week. This Friday, February 3rd, we're hosting the February Slow Flowers member meetup with two of our expert members, Krista Rosso of Oflora Farm and Tiffany Brown Anderson of Earth and Sea. 
The session, Floral Photography Tips and Techniques, takes place, as I said, on Friday, February 3rd, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Both Tiffany and Krista have extensive backgrounds as professional photographers, in addition to owning flower farms. This is a great combination, as they have turned their cameras on the flowers they grow and provide to their communities. We've invited Krista and Tiffany to share their expertise with you, including how to make the most of your photography opportunities, both in the field and in the studio. Due to Valentine's Day, we're holding the meetup one week early on Friday, February 3rd. This session is a member-only benefit. You must be an active Slow Flowers member to register and attend. The link to register is in today's show notes and will also be in the link tree menu of our Slow Flower Society profile on Instagram. You will gain new ideas and easy steps that you can take to immediately improve your flower photography, whether you use a smartphone or a DSLR camera. Bring your questions. Thank you to Mayash Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978. Mayash is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayash to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayash.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.